The Soccer Gambling Podcast is presented by Winbet. Winbet is now live in Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, and Arizona. From boosted parlays to in-game odds on every major sport, Winbet has what you need to win. Sign up today to receive a $1,000 risk-free sports bet. Download the Winbet app now or visit wynnbet.com and start winning today. We're also brought to you by PropSwap, America's marketplace to buy and sell sports bets. Check out the new PropSwap.com and use a promo code SGP on your first deposit to receive up to $500 in bonus cash. We're also brought to you by PricePix. PricePix is DFS simplified. Head over to PricePix.com and use a promo code SGP for a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. And of course, don't forget to download the SGPN app, your home for all of your free picks and podcasts. Shooting the ball sat up there. Maurice was off his line, but now Cavani's played in and scores the second for Manchester United. Spurs look for the assistant again, and that could be the insurance goal. So he's picked them together, Ronaldo and Cavani, and they both deliver in this most important of games for the Manchester United manager. Matic. Back, but here is Rashford. Is it going to be three? Well, he's put it in the net. We look across at us, assistant who's had to make some calls today, but Marcus Rashford has put it beyond doubt for Manchester United. Well, he was right on the edge of offside, Marcus Rashford, but the flag stays down. It's a wonderful finish from Rashford and gives Manchester United the victory. You are listening to Bet. MUFC here on the Soccer Gambling Podcast. You can follow the Soccer Gambling Podcast on Twitter. That's at SGP Soccer, at SGP Soccer. We'll talk more about that later. You can also follow the Twitter account for BetMUFC, newly on Twitter. That's at BetMUFC, at BetMUFC. To get all of my additional content, head over to my website, lockbetting.com. I have a record of one 101 months in a row of transparent tracked profit. Let me tell you what that means. That means for over eight years, I haven't had a single losing month in sports betting. And all 101 months are fully transparent and tracked with a spreadsheet posted on to my Twitter account at SGP Soccer. That's at SGP Soccer. If you look at the pinned tweet on that account, it will always be the PL for the last month. And obviously on Twitter, you have clients who can comment and state whether they did or didn't make that money. And they always verify the fact that we did make that money. The post at the moment is for the 100th month. We'll be replacing that with the month of October, which was the 101st month. Just calculating that at the moment. The 100th month delivered over 41 units of profit. That's over £4,100. It's good for over $5,500. And if you go to lockbetting.com, you can see every single one of those spreadsheets for this 101 month, 101 month run. 
The reason why it's fully transparent and tracked is not only because it's posted on Twitter, but also because it's available on the LockBetting.com site. I use Patreon to host LockBetting.com, and that means that all of my clients can comment anytime, any place on anything. Therefore, when you put the spreadsheets up, there's no way there's going to be a play missing. There's no way there's going to be a play added. There's no way the amounts aren't going to add up. There's over 150 people on there that could pull, that could pull you up on any kind of mistake that you want. It allows you to be 100% transparent. Transparent, and it means you are 100% transparent and tracked throughout the time. So the 101 months of profit, the over eight years of profit is 100% legitimate. So if you want to come on board and be a part of what should be the 102nd month in a row of transparent track profit, head over to lockbetting.com. Great month to sign up. We're at the start of the NBA season. We are well into the NFL season. We have seven winning weeks out of eight and started strong for week nine yesterday, landing a one unit play on the Indianapolis Colts to cover a a minus 10 handicap line. We have the, the soccer season. We're well into that. We're having an international break after this round of domestic fixtures. Of course, we are into uh, match day five of the Champions League and the Europa League as well. We're betting on tennis. We're betting on boxing. We're betting on UFC as well this weekend. We're betting on WWE. And we are making money in all sports over at lockbetting.com. So sign up in time for that 102nd month here in the month of November. So let's talk about Manchester United at the top of the show. All things were rosy in the garden again. Off the back of the 5-0 defeat against Liverpool, we bounced back and got a 3-0 win against Tottenham. But it left people asking a lot of questions. Did Manchester United and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer get things right? Or were Tottenham just absolutely woeful? According to Tottenham's board and Daniel Levy and the supporters, they were absolutely woeful, which is why they made a significant managerial change, which we'll talk about in depth in a moment. But first, let's listen to how Ole Gunnar Solskjaer analysed the win here against Tottenham. Describe the differences in the dressing room between the last round and this game today. I think you have to uh, have been in football, been inside the dressing room. You know, when when we do this for a living, when we do it for uh, uh, it's our hobby. But then when you win a game, just the dressing room is the best uh, best place to be. When you lose a game, it's it's, it's one of the worst places to be. But. I have to say they've stuck together since since last week. That's that's what it is to be in a dressing room as well, to get rid of that disappointment and look forward. We waited today for reaction. We've seen that reaction from you in a style of play today, playing three in the back, and from the players with the three goals and clean sheets. Yeah, you know, result is important, but it wasn't the main thing. The main thing was you can see 11 players there fighting their absolute maximum for the club and for the for this massive fantastic uh, club and they're, they're privileged to play for it and I have to say all of them to a man uh, prove what they are capable of doing and we've seen uh, Cavani and Ronaldo together yeah. maybe you know, we didn't see them starting yeah, that much you know with, with the experience they have with the qualities they have how dangerous they're in the inside the box and the link-up play. It's something that we've I've been thinking about. But you know, sometimes you need to to find a way to to do it. Today we found a way with wing backs, which suited them two together. So, uh, but we have lots of other good forwards that can play in different formations. How to build in this performance and result today? Are we going to see the same? style of play for the upcoming Atalanta and Man City game? We still, you know, talk about style of play. 
The most important thing is that we stick together and we go into every game with a, uh, with a strategy, game plan, and we stick to it and we do what we're told and we do what we've practiced and that you do your best. And Because we have players that are sensational going forward, but you see today, David, he doesn't have one save to make. That means we can defend as well. So we have to find that balance. Calm the noise. No pressure at the moment. It's always pressure. Next one, Tuesday. It's Champions League. That's that's why we're in this game. We we love looking forward. So that's what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had to say. For me, lots of concerns coming out of the Tottenham game, namely the sacking of Nuno Espirito Santo, which meant that they went and got Antonio Conte, who was the front runner for the Manchester United job. I'm very surprised that Conte took this job, knowing that there was a possibility that within a week after this game, the Manchester United job could still be available. Had Manchester United uh, lost against Atalanta, and they've only drawn against Atalanta, by the way, but had they lost that game, and of course, had they lost to Manchester City, I feel certain that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer would have lost his job. At the moment, we are here exactly where we were a week ago. I don't know what the future holds for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Win, lose, or draw. I assume win or draw, and he will keep his job. I always thought that five points would be the minimum here for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to keep his job. I always felt like that we would beat Tottenham. I always thought we would get something from the Atalanta game because they are missing key defenders and they are wide open like us defensively. And then I thought it would all come down to the City game. I feel like even if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer loses this game, as long as it's not in the manner of the Liverpool defeat, he will still keep his job. A draw, I think he's certain to keep his job, reaching that five-point target. And a win, he's 100% to not only keep his job, but probably buy himself some time. So that's how I feel things are going to play out. But let's say Manchester City do take Manchester United apart, which is a big possibility, which was highlighted by the Atalanta game, because Atalanta could have won that game convincingly. That was Cristiano Ronaldo saving us once again and showing that there wasn't too much to take out of the Tottenham game, that it was the fact that Manchester United played a very, very poor team that were disjointed and had down tools for a manager. An immediate replacement was made. And unfortunately for us, it was Antonio Conte. We'll look at the uh, the manager's market later on in the show. But first of all, I want to have a look at this Atalanta game because the feeling coming out of the Atalanta game was very, very different from the feeling coming out of the Spurs game because it just looked like the Spurs game was a victory over a very, very poor side. This Atalanta game saw us, it was a good point, but it was Cristiano Ronaldo that rescued a point. And when you've got these types of players, when you've got the likes of a Luke Shaw, a David De Gea in goal, a Harry Maguire who's gone very, very far backwards this season, and and we'll talk about that as well, Uh, a Rafa Varane, a Paul Pogba, a Donny van der Beek on the bench, a Bruno Fernandes... And Marcus Rashford, Jaden Sancho, Anthony Martial, Mason Greenwood, Jesse Lingard, Edison Cavani all up top. You shouldn't be relying on one man. This isn't a crop of players who should be relying on Cristiano Ronaldo to bail him out over and over again. Without his goals, where would we be in the Champions League? Without Cristiano Ronaldo's winner against Villarreal, without his winner against Atalanta, without this performance against Atalanta, where would Manchester United actually be in the Champions League without Ronaldo this season. Zapata gets there just ahead of Van Bissaka. Ilicic coming in in the middle. There's the shot. Oh, it's in. Atalanta score first again. David De Gea couldn't stop it. And Josip Ilicic fires Atalanta in front in the Champions League inside 12 minutes. And Zapata gets across Van Bissaka. And as he pulls it back to Ilicic, he fires at David De Gea. 
It goes through the legs of Luke Shaw, and maybe David Gea is a little bit unsighted. Not a huge amount of power comes off his arm and flies back across the goal into the net. Four minutes of additional time at the end of the first half. Here's McTominay. Fernandez, now Ronaldo. Bruno Fernandez. Cristiano Ronaldo, brilliant goal. Absolutely outstanding. Quick, incise, sharp passing. And Cristiano Ronaldo again in the Champions League. And that's how he celebrates. Yeah, and that's what it's all about. When they do things nice and quick, they carve open this Atalanta defence. Best piece of play of the first half. By a country mile. And it was because it was quick. Pass, 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 touch, finish. Here's Zapata. He gets in and scores. Offside flag up Manchester United survive it. Harry Maguire is as relieved as anybody in here. Yeah, I think Harry Maguire knew. I think. Let's see how tight it was. Yeah, you see Harry Maguire is looking at his hand goes up straight away. It's a goal. Decision wow. overturned. Zapata's goal stands and Manchester United behind again after one of the longest VAR reviews I can remember. It was tight. And in actual fact, he was onside and Manchester United pay the price. Atalanta 2, Manchester United 1. Well, there you go. He gets his rewards. Duvan Zapata. Sancho. Ronaldo. Donny van der Beek pulled it behind Mason Greenwood. Ronaldo's onto it. In went Zapata, who's back there doing a defensive shift. Ronaldo! up in the air to Ronaldo along the ground Musso no chance nestling in the bottom corner Manchester United get the point in Bergamo and they get a point because of one man Solskjaer knows that tonight's point may well be vital and without him you wonder where Manchester United's season would be a late winner against Villarreal and two vital late goals in both games against Atalanta. Atalanta played their part, but they've been done on the night by two Ronnies. Atalanta two, Manchester United two. Cristiano, congratulations. What a fantastic finish to the game. You've rescued it again. Well, it was a difficult game. I know that when we play in Bergamo against Atalanta, it's always difficult. But we, we believe until the end, and uh, I help my team to to do it one point, and I'm so happy. We saw that character. You never give up, do you? Exactly. We we never give up. We believe until the end. 
it's good. Good result for us, I think. Yeah, it could be a very important point in this group. But in the first half, you're missing a lot of tempo, some sloppy balls, but then it all came together for the first goal. Yeah, in the beginning was was tough. We knew that Atalanta will do it a lot of pressure. They have a fantastic coach. They know what to do all the, all the time in the pitch. I know because when I play in Juventus, they're always difficult to play against. And uh, but I think we we do with our job. We defend well, and um, we had a little bit lucky in the hand that I scored a goal. But this is football. Yeah, there's some problems at the back as well. Still some things to be fixed. Balls over the it's top. It's normal. We have to we have to still improve. As I as I say many times, we have a, a different players, different system. The football is different. We have to adapt to, uh, with each other, but we'll take time. So, in my opinion, we have uh, we have time to to improve and to be better. Thank you, Cristiano. Thank you very much. Ronaldo there being very diplomatic, and you'd expect that he's not going to turn around and say, "I'm the only player doing anything. Everybody's shit. Maguire is a fat piece of lard who doesn't look like he can move anymore." I mean, in all seriousness. Let's address that situation. In both of these goals, Harry Maguire is standing there, raising his arm in the air like a prize prick. He has no idea what's going on. The guy on the second goal is three yards onside. I don't understand why VAR takes around about three, four minutes to look at that. But VAR in itself, that's an entire podcast. We can do an entire show. We can do a weekly show on VAR because that's not working. That is holding up games unnecessarily and they're still getting things wrong. But let's take VAR out of the equation. Maguire is standing there with his hands on the air, hands in the air, playing the guy three yards on side. Harry Maguire has not looked like the same player since the Euros. And I have constantly, constantly defended Harry Maguire. He's come under a lot of criticism for his appearance, for his pace, for the fact that he's compared to other top defenders, for the fact that he's been called world-class and people completely disagree with it, including a lot of Man United supporters. And I've pointed to the statistical data, which clearly indicates that we have improved since signing Harry Maguire. We are at one point the 13th ranked defence in the Premier League and we rose to second. Obviously, that will change in the future with Thomas Tuchel coming into Chelsea last season, keeping 11 clean sheets in his 19 games in charge. And that will change. And obviously, it will change because they are keeping clean sheets. City are still continuing to keep clean sheets as well. And we are conceding goals and stupid goals and worrying goals. We conceded goals on the counter-attack against teams at home. And that was what we used to do last season during our unbeaten away record. We were the counter-attacking teams and we're getting counter-attacks whilst we're ahead. Look at the goal against Newcastle. Look at the goal against Everton. We were up in both of those games by a goal and we got hit on the break. That's diabolical. Look at the goals against Liverpool. Liverpool absolutely ripped us apart. And Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's in his interview there talking about tactics after the the Tottenham game. But what were the tactics against Liverpool? What did you practice? Because you certainly didn't practice pressing. You sure told them to press, but they didn't know how to press because they pressed and chased shadows the entire time. What we tell 10-year-olds not to do in my kids' team and left two or three players spare because we'd overpressed the players that had the ball. We were constantly chasing shadows, leaving Liverpool to absolutely embarrass us. It was a shit show. So what did we practice that week? It looks very much like we played a very, very poor Spurs side and we are very, very lucky in this game against Atalanta, who should have scored four or five. And we were bailed out by who is the greatest player in the world, Cristiano Ronaldo. He is saving us at the moment. And those sentiments were echoed by by two of our legends, Paul Scholes and Rio Ferdinand, spoke about the game here on BT Sport. Don't work hard enough, doesn't close <laughs> people down, doesn't press, but puts the ball in the back of the net. He does the hardest thing that you can do in the game. Everyone tries to be that guy that does that at it. 
the critical moments. Mm. He steps up any time, any stadium, any country, any place. Biggest moments. He's there to deliver. It's just mind-boggling. There aren't any words anymore that we can say about this guy that would justify the way that he puts the ball in the back of the net and just arrives on the big occasions and delivers. And that is brilliant, and he is amazing. But the way Manchester United are playing at the moment, it's a good job he's there because they need him to do that. Yeah, yeah other than Saturday, we played all right Saturday, Jake. Um, tonight, again, was, was a little bit messy. It felt, as soon as Varane went off, it just felt, I know they were already 1-0 down, but when he went off, it just seemed to go all over the place again. A, a little bit, really shaky. Quality in the middle of the pitch wasn't great again, giving the ball away far too often. Maguire, okay, I don't know if he's still injured or he's got a hangover from, from the Euros. He just doesn't look right. He's not with it at the minute. And I don't want to say it again, but you know, with the performance of like that second half, especially with Nova and Saturday, it has to be a slight worry. What would you be thinking if you were Pep Guardiola in Manchester City watching that performance? Um, you'd think, you think you'd have a good chance of winning. Um, be, be, look, City think that anyway. The City are a brilliant football team, brilliant players. At any point, whether United have Varane or not, it's always going to be a difficult game. But with Vanova run now, I think it makes it more difficult for United. But saying that United have still got quality to score goals and even in them games where they haven't played that well they've always created chances and should have, even, even the Liverpool game you look back at that three clear chances so United they have to defend properly concentration is key on Saturday they, against that team they can't have that second half performance they go out with that second half performance yeah. against City they get slapped again three or four or five goals because that's shown a, a real lack of respect for the opposition being really fragmented all over the place being slack, sloppy in situations with and without the ball. The intensity wasn't there. It was a very... Um, it, it wasn't was, for that goal, Rio. It, it was a mess. Yeah. The second half was a mess. It was a hope Bruno Fernandes at the time was yeah. taking throwing to the right back. Yeah. 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 I, I, we looked at it at one point and went, what formation are they playing? It was disarray. It was all out. It was just hope. And then again, it comes down to an individual, a, a moment of brilliance from that man, Cristiano Ronaldo, and you go, he saved them in that second half. That was two of our legends, Paul Scholes and Rio Ferdinand, talking about the game against Atalanta, talking about Ronaldo saving us, talking about the, the poor tactics, and, and everything they say is right. A lot of Man United fans are critical of these ex-players coming out and talking the likes of Roy Keane, Gary Neville, Scholesy, Rio Ferdinand. But when you pick the bones out of what they say, what are they saying wrong? How was the analysis of that game wrong? You cannot criticise people who are right about everything they say. You cannot criticise Paul Scholes when he says that Liverpool could be 3 or 4 nil up at half-time if Manchester United play the way they played against Atalanta in the first half. And what happened? They were 3 or 4 nil down at half-time. They were 4 nil down at half-time. So when he analyses the game like that, and he's completely right a few days later, and you can look at that clip and even put it into the podcast like we did, and people can analyse that and go, wow, that was incredible. How did he call that? He called that because he can see what's happening. These players can see what's going on. They've played the game. And they're probably at the same level as Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Does that mean I want Paul Scholes to go in and, and manage Manchester United? Do I want Rio Ferdinand managing the club? Gary Neville, we saw what happened to him at Valencia. Roy Keane, Roy Keane's probably more experienced than everybody. No, I don't want any of these ex-players managing the club. They, they're doing well as TV pundits and they're getting a lot of hits and they're getting a lot of attention and they're analysing the games very well because they are correct. But these are guys that shouldn't be managing our team, much like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. We need to be looking at a top-level manager at this point because they are right. Their tactics were all over the place. And 
If you're looking at the likes of a Donny van der Beek, a Jaden Sancho, and this was a point made by Gary Neville, and I'm going to play the clip in a minute. What are you thinking? Why have you come to Manchester United? When they change up from a 4-3-3 system, which should accommodate Donny van der Beek and Jaden Sancho, and you now go to a 5-3-2 system, which doesn't accommodate any of them because there's only one attacking midfield position in that team, and that goes to Bruno Fernandes. There's no wingers in that position in that formation at all. So suddenly, Mason Greenwood is out. Marcus Rashford is out. Martial is out, unless you can rotate him and play him as a striker. Same goes for Marcus Rashford. Jesse Lingard is out. And Jaden Sancho is out on the cold, unless he wants to learn how to play as a right wing-back. But we're playing currently with a right wing back that can't play right wing back because Aaron Rambasaka is an outright right back. He's one of the best tacklers in the Premier League, but he cannot cross the ball. So if we're going to play the formation, we should be looking at Diego, Diego Dallo or possibly molding Jaden Sancho into a right wing back because he runs the most out of all of our attacking players. He does run the yards. That's something Man United players are guilty of not doing, but Jaden Sancho does it. But did he sign for all that money to come over to Manchester United to change his position? 10 games into the season and be a right wing back. I don't think so. It's it's not sending a good message to any of the players that want to come to Manchester United. If you look at Donny van der Beek and you look at Jadon Sancho and you're a player who's looking to move to Manchester United next summer, are you going to be encouraged by what you're seeing? The fact that we have changed formation in the middle of the season, the fact that it leaves all these players out in the cold, the fact that van der Beek has barely played since he played. It doesn't encourage you at all to sign new players. And I don't think signing new players is going to fix the problem anyway. A lot of fans will point to the fact we don't have a central defensive midfielder here or a world-class central defensive midfielder. We didn't sign that, but we got everybody else on the shopping list. We cannot continue to blame the Glazers. I don't like the Glazers and I want them out of my club, but they did fund Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in the summer. We've got the best player in the world in Cristiano Ronaldo. We've got possibly uh, the best defender in the world, if not one of the best five defenders in the world, without a doubt. World Cup winner, Champions League winner, and Rafa Varane. He's now playing alongside Harry Maguire. Now Harry Maguire's forgotten how to play football. We did fund the signings here. Jaden Sancho came in for ridiculous money. So you cannot continue to blame the Glazers. You have to look at the manager. You have to look at the tactics. You have to look at the club overall. It feels like it's rotten. It feels like there's some toxicity there within the club. It feels like this club isn't ever going to get right, no matter what the personnel is. And as I said, the personnel isn't the problem. And that will be clear later on. When we look at the Manchester United-Manchester City game this week... I'm going to make a combined 11 and you'll see that personnel isn't a problem because if it was, we wouldn't have so many Manchester United players in that combined 11 when we do that later on. But before we do that, I want to play Gary Neville's comments for you because he addressed a very, very interesting issue. And it was something that I was talking about already with some of my friends. And that was clearly the fact that you're not going to be encouraged to sign for Manchester United when you see the status of Van Der Beek and Sancho. And it was fascinating to me to see Gary Neville picking up on exactly the same point. So I had to get that audio and I had to put it on the show here. So have a listen to this. Is the, the person who loses out most from this one who, who you mentioned there, Jaden Sancho? I, I, do you know something? that I can't help thinking about Van Der Beek. Who's put the name on him? Who's sponsoring that at Manchester United, that 40 million quid that's been spent on that kid who sat in the stand and not kicked a football now for nearly two, I don't know, 18 months? Sancho, if he's not careful, he's going to end up exactly the same. So this well, is. What does he have to do then? Or is Sancho. It just, is it just that the, the system doesn't have room well, he's for He's played in some pretty appalling performances in the last few years. Not him, I mean team performances. He's come into a club that's looked completely disjointed in terms of their football. He's played in a far better team and unit at Dortmund. He's coming in and probably thinking, what the hell am I in here? 
what is this? There's no organisation, there's no structure, the defensive work rate is, is poor. He's actually the only player, when you look at the defensive running stats of Manchester United's front players, that's got anywhere near, I think he's like five, fifth or sixth out of the top, you know, we looked at the top four uh, front players, top four clubs front players, he was in the top ten. So he's had to put in the shift in. But he must be sat on that bench there thinking, what am I doing? Because now he's thinking, well, where do I play in that system? Because I don't see him in a three in midfield, and I don't see him probably in the two up front. Oh. So he's probably thinking, where does it, where, where, where's my career at Manchester United? And Van der Beek's thinking the same. So, look, today's been a good day, but it does yeah, cause problems there's elsewhere. There's no forward planning. No, no. With Cavani or Ronaldo. They got Cavani on the very last day of a transfer window a couple of years ago. They've taken, they've taken Ronaldo in similar circumstances, albeit not in the very last day. So there was no forward planning. This is a jigsaw that's just... Yeah. They're shuffling it around and working out as it comes in. And, and sometimes it works. You know, I think going back to Jose Mourinho's early days at Chelsea, I think he worked out going with a couple of wing backs um, who's working for him with Robin and Duffer. And I think, you know, he might have got lucky, but I come back to it, it was Tottenham they were playing. We're having a football conversation. Take that team today with that performance against Liverpool last week. They're only going to be 5 0, but they still get beat. So that's how far they have to go. Don't be getting carried away with that today. There's, there's, they have to be a lot better than that if they're going to challenge City and Liverpool going forward. And we'll find out a lot more about where United are this time next week. When they play Manchester City in the Manchester derby. And that's the last game before the international break. This was seen as a huge seven days for Manchester United, Gary Tottenham done and dusted. Atalanta to come with the problems that they gave them in the in the first half and then the Manchester derby against a city side who've lost albeit down to 10 men, 2-0 against Crystal Palace today. Yeah and the thing is he's not going to be able to play that team that played today in all three games because he said it was his oldest team and there's no way Cavani and Ronaldo can play all three games this week. So there is going to have to be an element of interchanging but he's got Rashford, he's got Greenwood, he's got players who can go up there. Lingard I think does come into the system and can fit into that three in midfield or one of the two up front really well. But it's how he changed it around. He's got to pick his team for City first. You know as Roy said that's the most important game and then work back to what he needs to do in Atalanta which is at least get a point. But the City game next one is the City game next Saturday has got alarm bells. That's the one that's the danger game for not just the coach but the players as well. And they've got to prepare for that but make sure they treat Atalanta with respect because to be fair Atalanta battered them the other week with five, six players missing so they can't afford to you know, do any midweek in Atalanta. So there you go. It was definitely worth adding that in. It was one of the first things I said. I said it to my son sitting next to him at the Tottenham game as I saw this team lineup come out. said it on my WhatsApp group chat talking about the, the future of, um, of Jadon Sancho and, and, and other players. Look, we have so many young, wide players. Yes, Greenwood could play up top. Yes, Rashford could play up top. They could both rotate with Cavani and Ronaldo. But Jadon Sancho is the one, and, and even Jesse Lingard to some extent, someone that we kept here in the summer when he could have moved to another club, could have gone back out on loan to West Ham. We kept these players, and it doesn't seem to be a plan. Because if there was a plan, like Gary Neville said... We wouldn't have made these signings. We would have broke the bank to go and get Wilfred and Didi of Leicester as a central defensive midfielder or somebody to the equivalent. We would have gone and got Kieran Trippier as the right wing back because Aaron Wan-Bissaka can't cross the ball. So really it makes a lot more sense to play Diego Dallo. And coming into this weekend with Rafa Varane injured, what are we going to do with that team? Because are we going to go back to the, the four at the back or are you going to find a way to force three at the back and push maybe Luke Shaw in as one of the, one of the centre backs, which means that Tellus would have to play as a left wing back because we have Lindelof injured as well. And if Lindelof is fit, do we go with Lindelof by Maguire? Because quite frankly, having that back three against Man City absolutely scares the shit out of me. And that's not a knock on Eric Bai because Eric Bai was great against Atalanta. He's the one I'm actually most secure about. 
It's Maguire that I'm concerned about. It's Lindelof anyway, and an unfit Lindelof who needs to pass a fitness test to get into this team. I'm very, very worried about. I'm very worried about being smashed. But as I said, there could be a silver lining because if we do get smashed, that will probably be the end of, of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. The current next manager market, which I said that we'd look at and we'll look at that now, sees Brendan Rodgers as the favourite because we've allowed Antonio Conte to go to Tottenham. That concerns me. And Brendan Rodgers is a strong favourite as well. He's currently in the market here at 5-4 to four with Zinazine Zidane, the man I want, as the second favourite at 7-1. to one. This is despite the fact that Zinazine Zidane has said that he doesn't want the Man United job. He's ruled himself out. I don't know why that is. I don't know if he's, um, if he's heard that he's definitely a shoo-in for the Paris Saint-Germain job after, after Pochettino. And I've also heard that Manchester United are still interested in Pochettino, that he's the man that they see taking them forward in the future. He's Alex Ferguson's choice. He's eight to one and third in the market. I have all the respect in the world for Alex Ferguson. I love Alex Ferguson. He's a legend. We owe everything to him. Every trophy that I've seen this club lift, every moment of glory, I owe it to you, Alex Ferguson. I owe it to Fergie. He has delivered that for me. He has delivered that happiness to me, happiness that my son hasn't experienced. He's 10 years old and he hasn't really been watching football long enough to see Manchester United win anything or have any glory. He's really only got into it in the last three, four years and he's suffered. And he doesn't understand sometimes why we go all the way down to Manchester to support this team that my dad supported and that I've supported because my dad supported and not because I'm a glory hunter. And even if I was, I'd be chasing glory as an eight-year-old boy, which makes it completely fine to show your loyalty to someone at eight years old and continue up until this point in your life. It's over 30 years, so I think that's acceptable at this point. But um, for my son, he doesn't understand. And it all comes down to Alex Ferguson. Alex Ferguson was the man who delivered those titles. He's taken us to 20 titles. He won two Champions Leagues. But it's 2021. You cannot be relying on the influence of Alex Ferguson. And I understand that these ex-players get a lot of criticism for doing their jobs as pundits. But there isn't any criticism fired towards Alex Ferguson because he is responsible for the appointment of David Moyes. He's had an influence on all the other appointments after that. He's had an influence on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer remaining in the job as long as he has. And I think it's time to stop listening to Alex Ferguson. It's, stop, it's, it's time to stop believing in this united way and trying to find the managers that will play the united way. We need to win. We need to break this run. We need to win a trophy because we could be like Liverpool. It could be 30 years before we win the Premier League again. And that may sound ridiculous, but it probably sounded ridiculous when in 2013 we were looking at 2021 and saying that we still hadn't won the Premier League. And I don't see us winning one this year. And I don't see us winning one next year either unless we get a new manager in. And we need to do that to utilise the fact that Ronaldo is just about to come out of his peak because he cannot continue doing this. I know he's a freak of nature and I know he's not a normal 36-year-old and he has ice baths and all this kind of stuff. But the fact is, is that eventually it's going to catch up with you. He's already had to completely change his game. This isn't the same Cristiano Ronaldo that we had that was doing um, that was doing turns and spinning around and beating players and, and, and coming out wide and scoring ridiculous goals. This is a guy who plays in the box. This is a Lewandowski. This is what Harry Kane needs to be. Harry Kane has decided to go and be a, a number 10 all of a sudden at this stage of his career. No, he needs to be in the box. And Cristiano Ronaldo, for me, edges Lewandowski as the best box player in world football. That's what he's evolved into. But he's not going to be able to continue to do this for four or five years. That's just common sense. He can do it now. He'll probably be able to do it next year as well. And I think it's key that we get the right manager in. And the answer isn't Brendan Rodgers. The answer isn't Mauricio Pochettino. I want Zidane. My second choice here would be the fourth in the market, Eric Ten Hag of Ajax. He has done a lot 
with a little, but he doesn't have that experience of managing big players, and that is my concern. We saw Pochettino do a lot with a little at Tottenham. He doesn't strike me as a serial winner because he didn't win trophies there, and we're seeing how he doesn't get on with the big players at PSG, how he doesn't know how to manage those egos. Not winning the league with Paris Saint-Germain in France this year is a monumental failure, and it really surprises me that Pochettino has kept that job. And uh, PSG aren't delivering the performances at the moment either. They are winning games. If you look at their record, it seems like they've made a relatively decent start to the season. But if you watch them play, they, like Manchester United, are a very, very disjointed team. I've said there's similarities between the two before. They both signed a player they didn't necessarily need in Messi and uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. They both got those two Galacticos in their side, which they didn't necessarily need. And they needed players in other positions. And they're finding it difficult to accommodate them. And that's not putting the blame on Cristiano Ronaldo. He's come in. He's done what he needed to do. But the fact is, is that the balance is completely disrupted at the moment. We don't know what we're doing with Cavani. We don't know how to get Cavani into the team. When we get Cavani and Ronaldo into the team, we don't know how to get the wide players into the team. If we paid play wide players and we played a 4-3-3, we're, we're conceding stupid goals because tactically we don't know how to set up because our manager's not experienced enough to, to do anything. So this is all looking very, very worrying. And to add to matters, Manchester City are coming up at the weekend. And this could be a game where we do see the end of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. The odds have actually moved. Off the back of the Liverpool defeat, Manchester City were the 4-7 to favourites to beat us in that game. They are now available at 4-6. to And you can even get better prices than that. This is off the back of Manchester United obviously improving since the Liverpool game. I guess you could say that. And Manchester City having a couple of bad performances themselves. They were knocked out of the League Cup by West Ham, where they didn't score a goal, didn't look like scoring a goal. And last week, they were beaten at home to Crystal Palace. They did bounce back in the Champions League by beating Club Brugge 4-1. But they conceded a goal, which was worrying. And prior to that, they hadn't scored for three hours of football, which was worrying. If you look prior to that, they did score nine goals in the two games before that. But that just shows some inconsistency of Manchester City. It shows what I identified at the start of the season. They should have signed that number nine. They should have signed Harry Kane. They should have signed Cristiano Ronaldo, but they failed at both. And ultimately, I feel that's what's going to cost them the league. And I feel that's the only thing that gives Manchester United a chance at the weekend because we are unbelievably more balanced on paper. We have more players to choose from in this squad to put out a balanced lineup. City are missing a striker. They're missing a number nine, which is one of the most important things in football. And you can point to the fact that Gabriel Jesus will play there. But if Gabriel Jesus plays in this game, he's going to play out wide. He's going to play out a position and Foden's going to play as a false number nine. So Pep Guardiola is an entity all to himself and, and the way that he thinks and the way that he um, sets out his tactics but I'd rather have him over Ole Gunnar Solskjaer any day of the week because now Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is coming up against Guardiola. He's coming up against Thomas Tuchel. He's coming against Jurgen Klopp. And now he's coming up against Antonio Conte because we didn't react fast enough and Spurs reacted immediately. And that is embarrassing for me because Spurs are a club who are notorious with not reacting. They're in, notorious with having a, a tight owner who doesn't like to put any money into the club. And Daniel Levy has reacted quicker than the Glazers making this appointment. And that, to me, is very, very disappointing. And it leaves us very short in the next manager market if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is to go this weekend. And if you look at the prices on that, there's value in that as well. Because Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was the one-to-four manager to go next going into the Spurs game. And I clearly stated here on the show that was way too short. Now I think he's too big. Daniel Farker at Norwich never seems to get fired, yet he's top of the market here at 9-4. The value here lies in the next three in the market. Dean Smith at 3-1 at Aston Villa. He cannot afford to lose a fifth game in a row. 
Ole Gunnar Solskjaer comes in at 4-1 to one, and Rafa Benitez at 7-1. to one. Things have gone very, very badly for Rafa and this weekend he faces Antonio Conte in his first Premier League game. If he loses that, Rafa Benitez could be gone this weekend. There's massive value on him going here at 7-1. to one. I think Rafa Benitez has to be the shout uh, along with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. You're going to profit here if you back both of these selections here in the market. So we'll move on from that and we'll look at this game. And I said um, before we start, analysing what I think will happen is that we'd look at the combined 11. Now, this is my opinion, and it probably may not be the opinion of others. You may see um, combined formations this weekend that just have Ronaldo in the team and everybody else from Manchester City. That is what we saw for the Liverpool game where we saw these experts making combined 11s like that. I think these people do it for clicks and likes and things of that nature. It draws more attention to things. I'm not going to do it that way. Obviously, I'm a Manchester United supporter, and some people will say, oh, you shouldn't have put this player here. You shouldn't have put that player there. That's not how I do things. Everybody that listened to me for over the last few years know that I have a level opinion, and this is my genuine combined 11. So so let's have a look what I've got. So it was very easy to pick this team if it was 4-3-3. It made a lot of sense that Man United would have four players in this team. It would be Ronaldo, Fernandez, Shaw and Maguire. So I didn't go with that. I actually ended up going with 3-4-1-2 because this allowed me to get in more players that I wanted to get in. And I also think it makes this team very, very difficult to beat. So let's break it down. This is Man United's formation that we played against Tottenham last week. The three I've gone for at the back are Carl Walker, Diaz and Maguire. I want Walker in my team. He's played at right centre-back for England before. Obviously, you can replace him here with John Stones. But I like the pace of Carl Walker in the right-hand side of my centre-back here. Uh, I've gone for Diaz in the middle. And I've given Maguire a spot here on the left because he's protected by Diaz. He can go and be the left centre-back. And I think he'll be able to deal with that. I'm also taking into account Maguire's form over the last two years. As opposed to just taking him out of the team based on this season. If Varane is fit and available, he comes in and plays for Maguire. But he isn't for this fixture. And obviously, I'm taking that into consideration as well. The two players that I've got here in my central midfield, you could argue that they are holding midfielders, but I think Rodri will be the deep line midfielder and uh, Kevin De Bruyne will be the ball player here. My wingbacks are going to be Luke Shaw on the left and Cancelo on the right. Cancelo's had a really, really good season. He's had a good couple of seasons actually and I wanted to get him here in the team, which is why I don't have Carl Walker here at right wing back, I wanted to get Cancelo in the team because I do rate him as a player. So they are my wing backs. I've got Bruno Fernandes sitting behind like he did last week. And up top, I've gone for Cavani and Ronaldo because I don't rate the Manchester City strikers. I don't want Jesus or Fernand Torres there. Fernand Torres isn't fit anyway. And I think these are the best two number nines that the clubs have combined. So if you look at the number of players Manchester United have got in, you've got Cavani, Ronaldo, Fernandez, Shaw and Maguire. That's five players that have gone into the team and it would have been four players had we gone for the 4-3-3 that people expected. That's not a bad lineup. That doesn't tell me that it's down to personnel. And even when you play that 4-3-3, on his day, Jaden Sancho could have taken the place of Riyad Mahrez. The Jaden Sancho that came from Borussia Dortmund immediately comes in and gets a spot in that team. The Jaden Sancho we see now doesn't. And as I've highlighted here on the show, that is worrying for anybody that wants to come in to Manchester United. Looking at the game, I already told you earlier, Manchester City now are the four to six favourites to win it. I think that's a fair price. I would rather put my money here on both teams to score because I don't see any of these two teams keeping a clean sheet in this game. Manchester City have conceded 
in six of their last eight matches. And uh, the away side, though, have won the derby in eight of the last 11 derbies. Man United, as we know, have kept two clean sheets all season. One of those was very, very lucky against Wolves. The other one was against Lackluster Tottenham last weekend. That's two clean sheets in 15 competitive home games this season. And both were away from home. So we haven't had a game at Old Trafford so far where we've had a clean sheet. I don't think it starts this weekend. So I sound like a broken record because I took this play last week and I think it would have cashed had Tottenham been had Tottenham been in any way competent at all. But we saw a very, very poor Tottenham side that were picked apart by Man United. It was a perfect game and uh, I regretted my play here on that game. But I think in this game, we do see goals at both ends. I know we've seen some conservative games between the top six as of late. I know we saw a nil-nil in this fixture as well last season, but I just don't see it playing out that way. I think both of these teams will be looking to get at both of their defences, and I think we will see goals on Saturday. And I think, if I'm using my uh, head over my heart, that Manchester City are going to come out on top. I don't think that we can go from that Liverpool performance based off just beating Tottenham and getting a point against Atalanta and expect to take three points here against Manchester City. I know that they've been held by by West Ham and got knocked out on a penalty shootout. And I know they lost to Palace last week. But unbelievably, I think these teams are actually more organised than Manchester United. So the only thing that I'm willing to actually put my money on this weekend, I won't bet on City, but I will bet on both teams to score. And that's available at 4-6 to six minus 150. That's it for me and this second episode of Bet MUFC. Good luck with all your bets as always and thanks for listening.